Blaze Radio Network. And now, Reform This with Dr. Sudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This. And the plate of Reform This Week is not only full, but our cup floweth over in a negative way. And uh, a lot to talk to you about. Hope you're all doing well. Hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving with your family, able to settle back and be thankful and grateful for the great blessings that we have living in this amazing country. Yes, a nation with struggles. Yes, a nation that is divided. But we will stand together. We will use holiday weekends like this not only to rebuild and reinvigorate our nuclear families, but to come together as communities, as states, as country, and believe in the priorities that our founding fathers had, to believe in the priorities that are the security and the the sacredness of our freedoms of what it means to be an American. And in this program, with you, I navigate what I think are the primary issues that are at hand. And uh, again, this week, some of this stems out of, obviously, the Israeli-Palestinian war started by Hamas with its pogroms on 10-7, on October 7. Uh, But it is really, as many conflicts, beginning to remind us remind us oh so well about the deep challenges that strike at the heart of what it means to be American. And I want to talk to you this week about free speech. Are there limits to it? And why this battle over just war and and terrorism and theocracy of Islamism and Hamas and its supporters and and the, the, the debate that's out there is not only about the truth of what's happening on the ground. It is about how facile, how, I want to use the word tolerant, but tolerant never does justice to the points we're trying to make. How realistic are we to really respect the other side? To stay in the, in the, angst of community building with disagreement or do we just walk away and throw away our friendships do we just divide and say oh no more this is it i've been tolerating everything for years and years now i won't anymore what is it what are those lines we'll talk about that in free speech and we'll also talk about some of the polling about support for hamas among the Muslim population and how some of it is actually quite schizophrenic when it comes to other things they were polled about. And again, nothing rings more true in this debate, in this challenge of reform than than these numbers. Now, don't just leave it to me. This has been discussed, I think, in a most, most articulate way at the American Mind by my good friend Seth Leibson, conservative radio host on 960 The Patriot here in Phoenix, 
and also with our mutual friend Josh Hammer. Hammer is a um, editor of uh, Newsweek uh, opinion pages and um, also host of the Josh Hammer Show. Now, I, I can't tell you enough how poignant so many of the sentences, so much of the conclusions they come to in their piece, free speech and sensibility, free speech sense and sensibility is. And uh, I'll give you some excerpts, but uh, also obviously give you my two cents worth. And they talk about the moral limits of our constitutional order. It is precious to see so many college admissions, they said, administrators, deans, and presidents now honing principled absolutist commitments to freedom of speech on their campuses. And when campuses were hosting Dennis Prager, Charles Murray, Charlie Kirk, Riley Gaines, or even federal appellate court justices, the messages that used to ban or chase them off campus were hate has no home here or the juice is not worth the squeeze. Defamatory characterizations on the part of biased third parties such as the SPLC against these speakers as white nationalists or worse were used as evidence that they should not be protected. Hate speech is not protected speech became the bray of leftist academics and legislators across the whole country. And then Seth and Josh lay out how, how deeply hypocritical and, and really they lay out a conversation that we should all be having about free speech, which is the cornerstone of democracy because through free speech becomes an assessment of the reality of the vote, the reality of the issues, the reality of the policy, the reality of the wars that we send our sons and daughters to fight. Every cornerstone of our democracy that not only comes to a decision based on rule of law, separation of powers, and the votes, but ultimately is based on the fact that we have free airwaves. And for those of us who are the son of immigrants that escaped pathologically autocratic and inhuman regimes, like the Ba'athists of Syria that my parents escaped in the 60s. And the fact that 70% of the world still lives under some form of inhuman autocracy. 70%. And as Hammer and Leibson go on, they say, to anyone even marginally familiar with the First Amendment doctrine, hate speech has long been held to be constitutionally protected speech because in the absence of a direct and specific threat of violence it has no easily defined and applicable legal standards so thus legally speaking hate speech does not exist here here i could not agree more and and i will tell you that that serves a benefit which is when haters have the freedom to hate as long as they're not becoming freely violent and targeting and and invoking terror and fear into people, then that freedom allows us to observe them and use the antiseptic of sunlight to root them out, to defeat them, to marginalize them, to call them what they are, to be realistic about the evil nature of their words and the hate 
of their words. If we push them underground, most societies show that they foment, they grow, they spread like wildfire, like a fire on a dry brush underneath with no previous controlled burns. And that's why, ladies and gentlemen, I, not as a lawyer, but as a human being, am in favor of allowing hate speech to exist. But the problem, as Hammer and Leapson go on, they say the problem with leftists censors position as most Americans used to understand is that one man's legitimate policy perspective voiced in an open and democratic society cannot from the basis for, form the basis for another's demand to be protected from it. Open debate on political concerns should not constitute a transubstantiation of words into violence, thus rendering them subject to censorship. Nevertheless, college presidents, administrators, and deans have had no problem washing their hands of the shutting down of speakers whose positions offended delicate leftist sensibilities. And yet, you know, um, I was one of the most vocal folks recently that wanted to expose the fact that Rashida Tlaib, who was calling for the elimination of Israel through chants of from the river to the sea, which I talked to you about last time, and through that move was going to use ASU to raise money for an organization that should be decertified, Students for Justice in Palestine. Because if you look at their website, they explicitly celebrate actions of violence and terror against women and children and babies and and horrific acts of door-to-door pogroms that were done. They call October 17th the Day of Resistance. Look at their websites. Might be scrubbed by now, but these should not be acting as organizations. We have anti-terror material support laws in Arizona, most states, and also federally. That's very different than free speech. And yet, ASU, when they finally, initially they told them they can't be in a peripheral place in Scottsdale, then move them to the Tempe main campus, and then four hours prior told the SJP that, oh, you don't have the right licensing and insurance and the paperwork, so you won't be able to be here, which, okay, is a buzzer-beater way to uh, get the job done and prevent terrorists or those who sympathize with terrorists, which is explicitly against the law, from raising money with our tax funds, supported by our tax base here in Maricopa County. And yet, they didn't have the courage or the backbone to say this is why we are rejecting this organization, this member of Congress. Greg Stanton, the Democrat in CD4 here in Phoenix, Tempe, Mesa, said nothing, was hiding in an undisclosed location as Monies were being raised for the most horrific anti-Semites in America and fueling the rage increasing against the Jewish community across the world. So, in 
Yet the defense of free speech was part of their mantra about why they should be heard. Is that really free speech? To defend terrorism? Because actually it's the enemy of free speech. If we start having people from the days start to uh, uh, lecture us about the need and the glorification of terror organizations like Hamas, is that a world in which we will have free speech? A world in which grandmothers and women and children are worried about being raped, beheaded, and otherwise? Is that really where we foster free speech? That's insane. This is a, a, a powder keg that is being lit with multiple fuses. Those fuses are incitement, direct incitement. It's not indirect incitement. And the left was telling us that President Trump's comments in Charlottesville and elsewhere was somehow incitement. And I like the distinction then that Hammer and Leaps and... Uh, describe in which they say that the relativism adopted by liberals of both parties is a capitulation to the notion that everything in the marketplace of ideas has equivalent inherent value. Come on. Exactly. It's not equivalent. Somehow all of a sudden, Charlie Kirk, Dennis Prager, the president of Charlottesville, all these folks are just equally as bad as Rashida Tlaib actually advocating for the annihilation of Israel, actually apologizing and barely uttering a few words in condemnation of massive terror that killed 1,400 Israelis, proportionally equal to 10 to 20 times what happened on 9-11 here in America. As they go on, a sounder view, one explicated by Justice Samuel Alito in his courageous solo dissenting opinions in both U.S. versus Stevens and Snyder versus Phelps in 2009 and 11, is one less grounded in the idiosyncratic and self-satisfied words of an individual provocateur and more grounded in the telos of a free speech regime that has existed since the Academy of Ancient Greece, the pursuit of truth. When purported contributions to the public discourse exceed substantive dissident speech and become unmoored from anything remotely smacking of the pursuit of truth, they're liable to be treated as something less than fully speech qua speech for either moral or legal, tort or criminal purposes. So the calls from jihad sympathizers to exterminate the Jews of Israel, or for that matter to gas the Jews anywhere they can be found the world over, certainly fit into this category. As Alito explained in his dissents in Snyder and Stevens, the First Amendment was meant to protect a vast array of thoughts and beliefs, but they are thoughts and beliefs to be offered in a marketplace of ideas dedicated to perpetuating and securing certain ends of governance such as the blessings of liberty and a republican form of government that the Constitution's preamble invokes. And here it is, ladies and gentlemen. The First Amendment was not meant to protect anything or everything, and certainly not as a suicide pact allowing for the perfectly equal moral or legal claims of, say, a Joe Biden or Trump 
on the one hand than Ali Khamenei and Hassan Nasrullah of Hezbollah on the other hand. The Constitution was never meant to yield a liberal marketplace of fascism, communism, or Islamism, or explicit calls to racial or ethnic mass murder. So, so, I cannot underscore how important that is to the debate. And why, why, for, for the love of God, why are we not talking about this? Our country is being torn apart by a lack of clarity about what is free speech. No, jihad that calls for the annihilation of an ethnic religious group Jihad that calls for the destruction of America, death to America, is not free speech. And I would proudly, as a libertarian-minded, small l, as a libertarian-minded American conservative, I would tell you that it is my duty to defend that. Because this is not about hate speech. This is not about communist speech or Marxist speech that believes in things that are incompatible with free markets and social, you know, the socialist movements and other things that are incompatible with freedom and liberty. No, this is about genocide. This is about terrorizing individuals and pushing them back out of fear to speak out to to debate and that is the end of free speech that's the end of our first amendment if the first amendment then becomes a weapon by which we defend those who want to tear it up then what has it become it's and this is why when you have programs like DEI diversity equity and inclusion that that are supposedly about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but are actually not. That's not the truth. It's about making Americans constantly become part of a religion in which they apologize for living on stolen land, for for the, the, the sins of generations before that were fought out in massively bloody civil wars. That we constantly live in defense and weakness rather than in equal, in, and with equality. And in a colorblind society, no, we are supposed to be indelibly colored by the differences of our skin color rather than by the equality of our minds and who we are. That is just bizarre. And it is not American. And this is all at the end of the day. It keeps coming back to how we define free speech. Because again, Hammer and Leibson hit the nail on the head. Hit the nail on the head. When they say, when it comes to the war in Israel and Gaza, Americans living under our Constitution might disagree on the merits of U.S. prodded ceasefire, whether Hamas-supporting foreign students ought to have their visas revoked, or any of a number of other public policy issues. But bloodthirsty marches on behalf of genocide must not be confused with morally or legally legitimate free speech under our moralistic constitutional order. Our regime recognizes these not as differences in the degree of would-be speech, but in the kind of speech. 
we should be able to prohibit speech that directly is violent, such as in Brandenburg versus Ohio. And lastly, end with the poignant comment that such a misunderstanding of our commitments to freedom, speech, and plain decency have led us to this ironic pass. Debates about men being allowed to use women's locker rooms or arguments about meritocracy are intolerable. But marches, including incantations to genocide, are considered sacred. That's where we are, ladies and gentlemen. God bless Josh Hammer and Seth Liebson for writing what needs to be read by every student, every lawyer, every politician, every citizen of this country that needs to understand the poignancy, the centrality. This is why it is so important that one of the main issues of the election coming up be free speech. Ask your politicians, where do they stand on free speech? What did they say? You can defend the right to speak hatefully without advocating for terrorism. We can do that. We can do that, and we can make the distinction. It might be challenging. And this is where the social media networks, Twitter, X now it's called, Facebook, Instagram, and others, I think, need to be schooled. Last today, I want to talk about what is the polling of American Muslim communities when it comes to the terror attacks that were begun against the state of Israel on October 7, 2023? A new poll found that the majority of Muslim Americans believe that Hamas was justified in committing terrorist acts against Israel. The poll from Signal surveyed over 2,000 people to gauge the public's overall awareness of attitudes about what was happening in Israel. And the majority, 50.6%, had a positive opinion of Israel compared to only 12% having a negative opinion, while 37% were neutral. That seems to be consistent with previous polling. The two groups that had the highest negative views of Israel were Muslim Americans at 36 and a half percent and Democrats at 15.7%. The groups that had the largest positive views of Israel were Jewish Americans at 85% versus less than 5% negative and Republicans at 64.9% versus less than 9% negative. It shows that Muslim Americans were seemed to be less educated about numerous aspects of atrocities committed by the Palestinian terrorists than Jewish Americans. Is it about education or is it about the media that they're following, the propaganda that they take as truth and what they conceive? And this goes to what I talked about and testified to Congress and elsewhere about radicalization among the Muslim communities. I always talked about conspiracy theories, the conveyor belt of radicalism, the the sense that the West is against them, that somehow they are living in a land of war instead of living in a land of peace, of being Muslim, of Islam. (laughs) Not Islam, as in theocracy, but their personal state of pietistic faith, of practice. And yet, 
That continuum of radicalization of belief systems is what left them with the fertile soil in which teens can then dehumanize Americans, dehumanize Jews and Israelis, and commit acts of terror that are heinous against, against them. The survey by Signal found that Hamas is viewed by the majority of Americans as the same as Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, and ISIS. Muslim Americans mostly agreed, but they slightly over-indexed for saying Hamas is not as bad as each of the other three terror organizations. Overall, the overwhelmingly support of Americans strongly support. About 84% said that Israel had the right to defend themselves against Hamas terror attacks. And about 75% of Americans said that Hamas was not justified in attacking Israel. Wow, 25% of Americans thought that they should just have not attacked at all? Wow. 75% is significant, though. But the most concerning finding is what I wanted to talk to you about, was that the majority of Muslim Americans, 57.5%, said that they agreed that, quote, Hamas was justified in attacking Israel as part of their struggle for a Palestinian state, unquote. And yet, despite the atrocities of over 1,400 killed, women raped, children beheaded, plurality of Muslim Americans still had a positive view of Hamas leader Ismail Haniyeh. 38.6% viewed him positively and 345 viewed him negatively. What is this, a moral rot? Is it just to say that they're, that percent are corrupt criminals? Is it just their media? It's probably a little bit of all of the above. But it also, at the core of it, is an ideological problem. Because remember, ladies and gentlemen, terrorism is about the ends justifying the means. So to a victim, to a victim, to a tribal victim, to a tribe that considers itself perennially, generationally victim, victims, then Moral agency goes out the window. Anything goes. They've lost moorings. And even when they're enemies, they believe. Now let's just assume that there's some truth, no truth, all the truth, whatever you want. But would that then justify what they're doing? Justify the belief that Hamas's actions, if they really were occupied by Israel, not by Hamas, and again, nobody's saying, I mean, in America, we have debates about imprisonment and, and uh, justice against the police and, and other, and with the police, and, and we have a raging debate about this. So to say that somehow, if you defend Israel's right to execute a war against Hamas, that somehow you become devoid of the rule of law and morality? No. It should be executed morally with the rules of law, rules of war, and the Geneva Convention. Otherwise, and if they have passed that as 
the United States did a few times in Iraq, and I'm sure Israel has a few times, they should be corrected for that. But at the end of the day, the reality is the truth as it's being reported by just by verifiable media is that it seems that when there's prisoners exchanges the prisoners returned from the israeli side are folks that were put in for crimes prior to 10-7 that were put in for things that are part of the law in israel versus Israel getting back its citizens, getting back its innocent non-combatants, didn't commit any crimes, but simply were at home and dragged from their doors and watching their families victimized and terrorized in a horrific way, and they became prisoners. In some ways, and this is much more horrific, but... It's just as, as we released one of Russia's most criminal uh, weapons dealers and, and, and war crime uh, committers, if you will, in exchange for a basketball player that they took because they said she had a weed apparatus. Yeah, this is the battle between Western free society and corrupt evil regimes from Putin's Russia to Iran as it fueled Hamas. So when you look at the moral construct of Muslim populations, if you're going to defeat Hamas, you first need to renew, reinvigorate a version of Islam that is at its core compulsively honest compulsively humble and compulsively true to the facts to the personal relationship with God that ultimately it is not ours to judge and that we will be true to who we are and our legacy will be one of truth and humility and compassion in which we turn the other cheek in which we do not commit utilitarian acts of war where the ends justify the means and then create false truths which are not truths that somehow utilitarian way justify the means that that ends changing, persuading the world somehow justifies the ends that they seek. So in the end, we need a renewal of morality, of righteousness, that our legacy be, that we regain moral agency regardless of what the victimization may be, that we regain truth, not just on the battlefront, but across Muslim worlds, both in Iran in which we defend the women's movement so that they can stop the Khomeinists from fueling the Hamases of the world. In Istanbul, where we can push back against the AKP and Islamists that are corrupt and that imprison teachers and professors and journalists in the thousands upon thousands. That's what the reality of Islamic, Judeo-Christian Islamic honor and integrity and humility should be. 
But these stats, these statistics are going to continue to be skewed towards corruption by simply the reality in which faith has become simply about wearing a hijab, going to mosque, praying by the genuflections rather than in the reality of what is an exemplary life in front of God. You know, this is this is the problem and why we need such deep reform. You look at these statistics. I just saw an article about how much terror sympathizing exists among the healthcare community, among physicians and nurses that are Muslim, and that it's embedded with hate, with anti-Semitism. And this is in the DEI environment that has been spread and, and and this was no better described than in an article in Tablet Magazine called Bad Medicine by Ian Kingsbury and Jay Green, in which they talk about a wave of open Jew hatred by medical professionals, medical schools, and professional associations in the wake of the Hamas slaughter suggests that a field entrusted with healing is becoming a licensed purveyor of hatred. So it's amazing that in the era of DEI, where tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars are being spent in medical professional schools to indoctrinate this new religion about DEI that I've talked to you before about. It almost seems that statements misusing terms like genocide and otherwise are on steroids, worse than they've ever been. Why is that? It's because... It's because of a hate for America, a hate for freedom, a desire to polarize our country until they can take more and more freedoms away. And the medical community adopted that same identity politics of DEI and have been turning a blind eye to the reality of what is being said in their walls when it comes to certain things that they turn a blind eye to. Anti-Semitism. Islamophobia. Uh, real uh, uh, abnormalities. Hate that's pushed by Islamists. But no, they succumb to Islamophobia conversations. And it goes on and on. It's flipped upside down. The Chinese are given a pass and their Communist Party and their influence operations. The Qataris, the Turks are given a pass with their influence operations and other petro-Islamic dollars that are pushed into universities are given a pass. And as it says in Tablet, the unbridled adoption of extreme progressive political orthodoxy and particularly identity politics raises the specter that a field entrusted with healing is instead becoming a vehicle for hatred. I'm sure I'll talk more about this and um, a lot more to come when it comes to the realities of what's being said on campuses, in hospitals, in medical schools that needs to be exposed and we need to have a conversation about it. This is about free speech, right? Go back to the initial topic of the day. It's about free speech. And yet, 
they control the language, don't they, on the left? This is your faithful patriot, Zudi Jasser, here, as always, with you. Spread the word about our podcast. Spread the word about our work at Reform This Radio and also at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R. And we'll see you soon. God bless. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.